0: Hey, Dustin here. Just before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to let you know we're running a contest with Wise Ice Tea, the guest of our next episode. Listen for the secret keyword. What is Wise Ice Tea made from? When you figure that out, hop back into the TRU Alumni app and enter to win you could win a TRU alumni six-pack cooler and a sample of Wise Ice tea. Rules and restrictions apply. Please see contest rules in the app for more details. Hi, and welcome to the TRU alumni podcast. I'm your host, Dustin McIntyre, TRU alumni manager and alumni. Our guest today is Max Reve, Bachelor of Tourism Management graduate from 2010, majoring in adventure studies and marketing. Max co-founded YST in 2013, and in 2017, he won Small Business BC Best International Trade Award. And most importantly, TRU Professor Leanne Dumichel speaks incredibly highly of him. Welcome to the podcast, Max Ravein. Thanks, man. Happy to be on. Ah, it's great having you. Yeah, we have been following your journey, and it's it's incredibly exciting. We got to profile you in late 2021, and you know, we'll get you on the podcast now.
1: Yeah, happy to be on, man.
0: Now, Leanne has, I uh, just want to talk about that quickly. She has messaged us a ton about you and is so excited about your journey as well. Uh, did you take a lot of classes with her?
1: You know, what's funny, she was never actually one of my teachers. I don't think I ever had her. Um, I've had interactions in different parts of the, the faculty and campus with her, but I don't think I ever took one of her classes specifically.
0: She just likes what you're doing, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, she likes their product. She's a fan. So I, I, anything, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just grateful to have, uh, you know, people that are, that are stoked on what we're doing basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we're always, you know, proud of TRU entrepreneurs. So I think that's where she's coming from. Now you actually had a very interesting entrepreneurial journey because you had a bit of an epiphany when you were a student, uh, traveling abroad. So what happened to you?
1: Yeah. So like I'll, before I get to the, the abroad part, I just, I want to preface it a little bit. So when I was at TRU uh, I remember I would, I would have like two nesty raspberries like per day and I would buy them in old Main. Like once you get up to the stairs, there's that like kind of mezzanine and then you go through the doors to the hallways and there's like this little kiosk on the left. It's, I don't, I don't even know if it's there anymore after the renovation. It's a sushi place now actually. Oh, is it? Wow. That's pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish we had sushi in old yeah, Main back then. Me, me um, too. But yeah, so I used to drink these nest teas and buy it from the same place every time because I just loved iced tea. And then I started realizing, like, as I was kind of turning 20, I was doing a lot more research about nutrition um, and just kind of learning more about really what is, what is like, how do you feed yourself properly and sustainably in, in a healthy way? And I realized how much sugar was in these bottles of iced tea and it was about like 45 grams of sugar each one. So in a day I was having 90 grams of sugar, you know, for this, just to have this, little pick me up. And I just thought that was totally crazy. I was like, that's just so much sugar. It's insane. And I, but I never liked unsweetened iced tea because it's so bitter. And I was like, well, I guess iced tea is just kind of off the table. So I started drinking coffee, uh, a lot more when I was at TRU in the, in the second, in my, in my last two years there, I guess, 2009, 2010, and I would get coffee from like the Starbucks and in the IB building uh, during studying and I realized I was just like crashing a lot and and I needed like, I would get like these like fancy coffees that were like super expensive in the end and have like also still had tons of sugar and I was like, what the hell can't avoid it. So I was like trying to drink black coffee forever and wasn't really, you know, I didn't love it, but it's like, ah, whatever. It's something. So after TRU, I I went to work in Vancouver for a couple of years, um, in an office job doing marketing. I really didn't like the job I I had, but it was something that was going to pay the bills, so I just did it and at one point like I just found myself so bored and and uh, you know being an entrepreneur it's kind of difficult to work for a company and. I would have like four or five coffees a day, just like out of boredom, basically, because there's nothing else to do. And, and there was a Keurig like as, as I sip my coffee right
0: now out of boredom, right?
1: There's like a Keurig, there's a egg like ten feet behind me in the kitchen. I was like, well, maybe I'll just get another coffee and kill some yeah. time or something. Yeah. But I would go like I would go do training or or sports after, and I'd, re- I'd be like so tired. And I'm like, why am I so tired? I've had so much coffee. Like this is not possible, right? Like there's obviously something I don't understand here. So fast forward a couple of years later, uh, decided to go to France for a master's. Uh, didn't really find any opportunities I wanted in Vancouver. And I took a design contract for an agency in Vancouver. I, by, by hobby, I was a graphic designer that became kind of my trade in the end, beyond, beyond marketing knowledge. My actual like trade craft is more branding and design. So I was doing a design contract for an agency in Vancouver but with a nine hour time difference, I was up super late till like four or 5am drinking coffee to get work done. And then I go to bed and like wake up at seven or 8am and go to school. And the timing was really bad because I had finals in the same like kind of 10 week deadline period. So I was basically for like 10 days straight. I was drinking like ridiculous amounts of coffee and barely sleeping. And, and the sleep that I would get is obviously terrible sleep because your like, my body's just like so jittery and everything for so much coffee. So it wasn't really quality sleep. Right. And eventually I was sitting in class, uh, in France on like a Thursday morning. And I, I just started feeling like so off, like, so like, I don't even know how to explain like your whole body's like tingling and like having like heart palpitations. And it felt like I had like, not like a flu or something. It was like an out of body feeling, which is super weird. And so I was like, wait a sec, this isn't right. So I went home and by the time I got home or when I got home, I'll, I'll spare the details, but basically my whole body turned inside out. Oh, and no. Then I, I went to the doctors a couple of days later because I, I was a wreck. Like, I couldn't sleep at all. I was just like so wrecked. Couldn't sleep, couldn't digest anything. I had zero energy. I was trying to play. Um, I was playing roller hockey in the National League in France, and I was just so tired. Like I was so tired. I wasn't digesting anything. And I knew I was there was something to do with coffee. So I went to the doctor eventually. He's like, Oh yeah, you had an acute caffeine overdose You just stay away from coffee. It's too acidic. It's too, uh, it's a diuretic. Like it it really jolts your, your nervous system as well as your digestive system. And I had just way too much of it. So he's like, you gotta start drinking tea or drink something else. Just, you know, not coffee. And I was like, Oh, you know, I, I like iced tea, but it's so full of sugar. So, I don't really want to drink a bunch of crap and then the unsweetened stuff is so bitter and it's it all of it in a bottle like at a store most of the iced teas are just super low quality and I couldn't drink coffee anymore and I was like what the hell like what am I supposed to do now I have to like make my own iced tea at home and bring it with me wherever I go and it's just like it's you know it's kind of a hassle when you're used to just picking something up on the fly so um literally like a month after that happened after this, this episode I had with caffeine, I was looking up some newsletters for a a new, a new class that we had in our program. The, uh, inside it was the entrepreneurship program. It's basically like a six month long, uh, course where you create a, a, basically a a hypothetical business and then you pitch it for hypothetical investment at the end of the year for a master's
0: tank kind of situation, but totally,
1: totally. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, with a group of, uh, we were 10 people in the group, uh, which was a lot for an entrepreneurship project.
0: Yeah. That's difficult. um,
1: I think the school was trying to like, I think they were, they were trying to run as lean as possible. So they had like create less groups. So it's less work for the team. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Uh, but anyway, so I I found this, I, this, uh, this study about the coffee leaf, and it just popped up on our radar and started looking at it and i was like wait a second a coffee leaf i never thought about the leaf and and looking at the the information was so interesting because it shows that it was super rich in antioxidants has these really rare health compounds that are strong anti-inflammatory uh, and have like all these odd like antiviral antimicrobial et cetera, et cetera. like list goes on and we were just like wow that you know i never thought about the leaf and it's it should be pretty ubiquitous because there's coffee grown in all basically all the tropical countries have some sort of coffee uh operation. And we started looking at the coffee industry and realized that they only harvest the bean for three months out of the year. And this is like a this is one of those things that like no one really knows. And like granted there's no reason why you would know or why you should know. There you can only get the bean for three months you can you can buy coffee at any moment anywhere in the world so you never think about the seasonality but it's really just three months and so the other nine months of the year about 90 percent of the industry goes unemployed or at least underemployed and so they they really don't have much in the off season and when that happens the families have to migrate and split up and go find odd jobs to basically just make ends meet throughout the summer because they start running out of cash by the tail end of summer and then the bean season will start up again in like November and go to like maybe February, March, depending on the region. And so basically in those nine months, like everyone is like literally starving. And and this is a, there's like lots of studies about this, like social impact studies showing there's an average of, uh, of hunger of five months that go throughout the off season for all the coffee growing regions in Latin America. And so we were like, wait a second, like, they have all these leaves and and we learned that in the off season, they actually prune the leaf as part of like the maintenance cycle. And so we're like, so they're pruning leaves in the off season, but there's very, very little work in the off season and there's no income essentially. And. And what do they do with the leaves?
0: Do they just typically throw them away?
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and we realized like there's like health compounds in the leaf and they're tossing them in the off season. And we, we did read some reports from like, the 1700s 1800s uh written by these europeans in ethiopia indonesia how locals are consuming the leaf as a tea but in like a really rudimentary process like they would just sun dry the leaf and then like crush it up and brew it which is actually pretty similar to like what would be like a yerba mate for example Mm -hmm. um but we're like well if it's if it's only been done like very very sparsely And in a very rudimentary way, in like the 1700s, 1800s, and there's still a handful of people doing it around the world, but it has never been actually like crafted or evolved into anything kind of more elevated. Yeah. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to take traditional tea processing techniques. For example, how you would make a black tea is you would ferment it for, you know, anywhere from two to seven days, for example and maybe that would change the flavor. Maybe that'll give it a nice smooth aspect or whatever it may be. We were just really kind of curious and had a bit of a hunch that you could probably make something out of
0: it. So this, is you in, this is you in France in a group of 10 finding this paper and saying, maybe let's make tea out of coffee leaves.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude.
0: That's <laughs> yeah. unreal. So,
1: so my my eventual co-founder, uh, my best friend, my best friend Arnaud, Arnaud Pizzibere, he's French. He was in our program and he was in my group and, uh, we just kind of started really taking this on as like a real opportunity. And, and so we started calling like tea manufacturers in Latin America because we needed somewhere to actually process the leaf. Right. That was, that was close to a coffee region, which is pretty rare. You only, you only find that in in basically in India. I mean, rare, it's basically India parts of Africa and and it's slim parts of Latin America, but it's really, really rare in Latin America. So eventually we called like every brand and, and kind of producer we could find in Latin America and uh basically got a bunch of no's or no response. And then one of them in Nicaragua was like, hey, this sounds like a pretty interesting idea. And they were the ones, uh, this small company in, in Nicaragua called Isnaya, they were the ones to spearhead the organic movement. Uh, And using herbal medicine, like mint, chamomile, et cetera, um, in Nicaragua. And so they thought it was pretty interesting, you know, naturally being a a very kind of curious business, they wanted to see, hey, maybe we can do something with the coffee leaf and it'll it'll help us make a, you know, a year round living for the country. So we went down there, we made our first, our very first batch with them. And uh, we actually, we acquired a big bag of coffee leaves by trading uh, a bottle of rum for it. I bet it was Florida, um, Kenya. Yes, it was Florida Kenya. It's the best run. It was. It's the best run. It, I'm glad you know of it, man. I've I've been harping on. I've been harping about this brand for a long time.
0: Yeah, you can you can find it every once in a while in, in BC, and it's a real treat.
1: Yeah, they have they have the BCL now. Uh, yeah, they have the seven yeah. year at least. But I got the 15
0: yeah. last week, so oh, I'm very go. familiar. I love this stuff. Sorry, bit of an That's, aside.
1: It's all good. I actually had a, a glass of the 12 year last night for uh, part of our Valentine's Day dinner. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so I traded a bottle of rum for this bag of leaves and, uh, we went and did like kind of a basic process on it. Uh, nothing too fancy. Cause we really, we, we had very little knowledge about tea processing at the time. Like we were just learning what we could get off of YouTube, off of, off of books, what we could find online anywhere. And so we made our very first batch and we had like the cupping spoon, basically like a tasting spoon. And we're there standing, we got the spoons and we're like, okay, yo, like if this tastes like crap, like we just wasted like nine months of our time and like a lot of opportunity costs, like not going, trying to get a career and all this other stuff. And and it all came down to
0: this one sip of uh, some drink that you kind of made up in your head.
1: Exactly. And, and like a bunch of credit card debt that we accrued. (laughs) Yeah. Our Our trip was supposed to be like three to four weeks and ended up being three months. So we're there with the spoon, we taste it and we're like, holy crap, it's actually so smooth and it's like better than any of the green teas I've ever had. Like it's not bitter at all. And it it was just so like like there was depth in it, there was complexity. It was not just like a herbal tea, you know, where it's just like, Yeah, okay, tastes herbal. It was like actually really interesting and so smooth. And we're like, you know, holy shit, like this has legs. Like this, this totally yeah. has legs. And so that was like the kind of like Eureka kind of moment where we're like, okay we're absolutely doing this, we have to do this. So we brought the products, we brought like basically 17 kilos of, of dried tea back to Vancouver with us. We spent about a year doing all the regulatory stuff with Health Canada. And that was a, that was a mess because they didn't know how to classify the product and all they wanted to do was let someone else at health Canada take care of it. So they kept pushing it off to somebody else <laughs> in a different department. And eventually they all, they all had a roundtable discussion and got back to us like six months later after me hassling all of them. And they right. said, yeah, it's all, it's all good. No worries. So like, wow. Okay.
0: What did they yeah. classify it as?
1: Uh, right now I think it's under like the import code, et cetera. Like an HS code is classified mm-hmm. as herbal tea. Um, and at times it would fall under coffee and things like this, but it, it, it isn't for Canada, coffee. Yeah, no, not really. Not realistically. It's not, it's, it's really totally different. Like it doesn't taste like coffee at all. People make the assumption that it would because it's from the coffee plant, but you have to understand that the, the coffee that we drink is, is the, the bean inside the fruit that is roasted, you know, it's, it's so different like versus the actual leaf itself that has been basically slowly withered so it softens a bit and then we roll it like an oolong tea um if you're familiar with oolong you'll know what i'm talking about and basically just it just makes it kind of juicy and sweet and it removes the bitterness and then we go dry it so it's like a super lightly kind of fermented uh mostly oxidized tea and that's what creates a really nice smooth flavor and so over the years basically we got the regulatory thing figured out It it still took us like three four years to actually create the supply chain on a scalable level, to actually produce this you know, with a, with a real consistency on volume, and, and what got us there, what really unlocked that, that ability was meeting Enrique Farafino, and Enrique Farfino is a third generation coffee farmer in Matagalpa, Nicaragua. He is the country's best grower when it comes to quality of products, uh, global export, uh ethical uh practices and also uh, biodiversity and kind of creating a regenerative system in in his own farm so we eventually met him and we were blown away with his setup and he you could tell he was like so curious about the leaf he's like oh my god there's so many things we can do like there's there's sub varietals of arabica that when we did batches with those sub varietals of the leaf They did, they did create different flavor. Like they had different flavor profiles depending on the, on the varietal. So like there's, there's unlimited complexity when it comes to creating products from the coffee leaf. Like you can create something like a Japanese matcha style, or you can create like an aged Chinese pu'er, or like a dark black tea if you want. And the flavors are going to be completely different. And so there's so much, there's so much to do with that. So when we met him, he's like, okay, this is awesome. And over the, the couple of years following, we basically tried to figure out like, what is the model? Like how, how much is it going to cost to actually make this, you know, what's the labor, can everyone at least make a margin to sustain the growth and create the impact that we want to create? Because if it's, if it's artificially propped up by like NGO donations, for example, et cetera, et cetera, it's not going to be able to grow naturally on its own and it's not going to be a sustainable thing to create impact. So that's. That's the reason why for profit social enterprises are so important because you're never going to get enough can investment to keep growing these things if it's a non for profit uh, social enterprise, especially when it's product related. So So kind of. Yeah. I'm kind of going down a bit of a tangent here.
0: I don't have to ask a lot of questions cause you just, you know, you're so <laughs> dialed in. It's so nice. So I actually wanted to talk about your, your vertical integration a little bit. You kind of mentioned it um, yeah. with your coffee growers in, in Nicaragua. So you guys have a very interesting, you're not purchasing from a supplier. Your co-founder is the supplier. So kind of talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So this is, it's pretty much exactly where, where we're at in the story. So Bringing Enrique in was critical. So we instead of saying like, oh, here's like a purchase order and then we're going to do like a five-year agreement or whatever, and then just hope that he pulls through, we were like, well, let's make sure he has skin in the game and not just like a purchase order because it doesn't really motivate him beyond, you know, one or two orders and, and things like that. So we said, okay, let's just bring him in as a third partner and just split the company three ways. And that way he's got just as much equity as we do. He cares about the growth of the business. And you could tell in the very beginning, like he was he was very smart, very intelligent, and and he loves innovation. Like this is a a big factor. Because a lot of other guys out there that we met, that we worked with, that we talked to, et cetera. You know, they are they want to do volume. They're not so particular about the quality. They're not so particular about innovation. For them, it's just like, yo, know, I just want to make my scratch and and, and make my living and, and not have to worry so much about all this stuff. Whereas Enrique is like so in tune with everything, and really like on the farm, hands on managing and, and 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 doing a lot of innovation, like doing different micro lots of different varietals, and and really growing uh, the next kind of natural hybrids of different. Uh, varietals for example so to to bring them in was complicated at first because the hard thing you know it's like what's this going to cost everyone and then how much is it going to cost for us to produce it or to, to to basically purchase it from our co-founder and then can we afford to put it into a package and then have a, a a margin for the distributor plus the retailer and then something left for us in the end to just sustain ourselves so it's like you have to think about basically five stakeholders a part of the value chain everyone has to make a bit of a cut for it to actually be worth it
0: for a can of drink that you know has to be approachable for the uh yeah. the person buying it as well right you can't be charging fifteen dollars for a exactly a can so finding that mar- that margin must be difficult
1: exactly so in the beginning we were doing dry teas and we launched at like 12 13 because it was the only way we could really do it and you know we quickly realized how expensive that was relative to other brands and for us, it was like, well, we, we can't, we can't like literally sell this for below cost. Like, that's just not going to work. So over time, as we got a little bit of scale with Enrique and we built up the system, it, it brought costs down. So now we brought the teas, the dry teas down to about 10 bucks. And then in uh, about a year and a half ago, we launched the iced teas and the iced tea, you know, that whole, that, that, uh, that market, that sector is super competitive because you're just dealing with Coca-Cola and Pepsi most of the time and, and right. LinkedIn, et cetera. It's super challenging um but it, it, at least at scale you know once you scale you can actually make some good sustainable growth and, and kind of and keep reinvesting in the business so to bring him in it was complicated cuz there was a lot of feeling out the numbers he was basically doing larger and larger batches over time and we were trying to figure out the costing of like unit economics like how does that translate down to the final retail price like you know what's a more effective way of using the staff for example even like like really think really interesting things you'd never think about is like how the people are dispersed in the farm to actually take the cuttings and bring them back to the farm so it's super time efficient and also making sure that the leaves don't sit in a bag for three hours and start to mold because it gets really hot and they start to ferment basically and make sure that they get back to the facility on time like all these like totally specific details were were enrique's portion essentially of building this system and model where it was it was time efficient, cost efficient, so that we can get it to market, and everyone can make a margin to then grow the impact and create the year-round uh, income stream for these workers and these farmers in Latin America.
0: How has that paid off? The year-round is this farm going year-round now? That you're, you know, nine years into it?
1: Yeah. So in the first, like the first few years, we hired like five people, and then 25, and then now we're actually employing about 120 uh, in the off season. And, uh, since, since we started working with Enrique, I think we started with him in 2016, we've actually created over a hundred thousand hours of off season work for these farmers. So it's, it's what I love about it is, and, and this is like kind of me being a bit of a data nerd, but also, also tying in like my, my, my values is that, Every single can that you drink of the iced tea, you're actually creating two minutes of work for a farmer. in Nicaragua. Oh, wow. What a way to think about it. So, yeah. So it's fully tangible and it's fully measurable. And it's not just like some fluff, bogus marketing bullshit. This is like this is our life's work and we're proving it with two minutes a can. It actually makes a difference. It's not just, you know, this like hokey veneer or whatever to make people feel good. It's like, we're very serious about it. And that's, you're that's not, why we are not greenwashing
0: it. the product. The product is inherently green.
1: No, I mean, it's yeah, that's yeah, well said. Uh,
0: so my next question for you is where is wise today and and where do we see wise, you know, tomorrow, five years from now?
1: So today we're, we're four staff. I'm actually, uh, actively looking for a Eastern sales manager in Toronto. Um, I'm trying to get some people lined up because we're going to be there next week. So i got to do some interviews. So hopefully five staff by uh, sometime in March, uh, full time, a bunch of contractors in terms of stores and whatnot. We're about 350 stores in BC and Alberta. Uh, we're getting into as many save ons as we can. We're in a save on in uh, Sahali and Valley view in Kamloops. Uh, we're also at nature's fair in Kamloops. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're basically, we're basically going to start doing our, our kind of toronto blast uh starting this spring and got some distributors lined up and everything else so everything should be kind of uh moving pretty good by the end of the year and uh i'm excited to see where it goes and within within five years will be likely sold up and down the west coast the u.s as well that's where that's where like the real battlefield is to be honest um really? yeah like you know it's canada's Canada's a good market for new products and healthy products. The thing is you just don't get the, the, the population density. And then when you have your main markets being Vancouver and Toronto, you know, they're five hours apart on a flight. Like it's, it's pretty
0: difficult. Yeah. Shipping. I yeah. Imagine is, Cause you're, you make them everything out of Vancouver, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the challenge with that is we'd have to ship everything to the East coast. And it with, with uh, with a beverage like this, you're literally just shipping water. So so your logistics have to be extremely optimized because every single time you make, you know, whatever, 30 cents on selling a can, your cost of shipping might completely wash out your profits and uh, which then go to just keep sustaining the business. So the way we're seeing it right now is we're gonna start pushing out east and just kind of get the territory going. And then we'll probably likely have to get a co-packer out east to start producing some iced tea out east as well. And we'll we basically just ship them all the ingredients And then we would go there with them and and produce it and kind of get things rolling. Um, and eventually go down the West coast of the U S probably launching in San Diego and LA and, or LA just kind of seeing what happens because you get so much population there, you know, people are looking for new drinks and, and also there's very little seasonality when it comes to hot weather, you know, in January, people aren't dying to buy like an ice cold iced tea, you know, when they're getting groceries, they're, they're kind of, can't wait to go home to have a warm drink or something or get a hot coffee on the way or something
0: well uh it, you know it sounds like there's a few maxes on campus that probably need some wise tea as well so we'll have to work to get you uh, a skew on campus um yeah but, man you right we can't have another max coming down the road and and having these issues
1: well the funny thing is just on that note we're finding so many young people like basically 18 to 25 that are starting to realize that energy drinks are garbage and 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 like honestly like it's an industry joke when it comes to the sports world you have all these people with these red bull like water bottles and whatever and they're doing all these promo shots like they're not drinking red bull in there it's just water you know Gator- or it's gatorade's else. the same
0: way right just so much sugar in it they don't touch the stuff for
1: yeah like gatorade has like a smidgen of electrolytes like, literally, a, like a dusting of electrolytes. It doesn't really have that much to make an impact. So, when people see like this Red Bull monster rock star, whatever, like, I think Gen Z is starting to catch on and millennials as well, being like, yo, like, this stuff is just toxic, man. I need something healthy, clean, lightly caffeinated, and doesn't have a stupid amount of sugar. Also, we didn't mention it, but we don't use any stevia, which for me is like, well, that's it interesting. Ruins all flavor. Yeah. So, we don't use any stevia or artificial sweeteners. So, the whole point is using just one gram of real cane sugar and, and having real ingredients with a clean taste. And it's easy to drink. Like, you know, I'm drinking one right now. I could crush this in 10 seconds if I want, or I could nurse it and it's still delicious.
0: What flavor are you drinking?
1: Uh, I'm actually drinking uh, Ruby red grapefruit right now. Awesome. Um,
0: it's super nice. Yeah. yeah. Max, where do we find you? So we know where we find you physically. Where do we find you on? Where's your, what are your social handles and where do we find you online?
1: Sure. So uh, our website is drinkwise.com. That's drink, W-I-Z-E.com. And then same thing for Instagram, drinkwise uh, with a Z, and you can see us there. Uh, If you want to reach out to me personally, uh, my my Instagram handle is wiseceo and uh, W-I-Z-E again, CEO. Awesome, Max. Thank you so
0: much. It was really great talking with you.
1: Cheers. Thanks, Dustin.
0: Thanks for listening to the TRU Alumni Podcast. This episode was hosted by me, Dustin McIntyre. Technical productions by Dustin McIntyre and Andrew Skopenko. Recorded at Thompson Rivers University in sunny Kamloops, British Columbia, on the traditional territory of the Kamloops-Dishukwepnik peoples.